What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Prey, here with the beautiful co-host, Alex Felice. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's good to be here. Oh, it is good to be here. It's good to have you back. Not that you were really gone, but Cliff Luber, ladies and gentlemen, is the guest today. Cliff is... Well, soon to be off active duty Navy. He's currently doing skill bridge with some friends of ours going into the reserve. He's a successful real estate investor, a war room member, a GoBundance member, and just an all around cool dude who did some really rad hiking last year uh, with my book, which was cool. And uh, honestly, this is like one of those like long time coming where it's like we've I think we've had this scheduled like two different times and something came up. And uh, and so here we are. And I'm excited. So, Cliff, welcome to the show, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah. You want to uh, give the 30 second backstory? Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle 1, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic 1, Oscar Mike. Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in, and we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes, We're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing. We bring in very specific topics that will adhere to very broad, any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do, and we'll really help you out. We let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them. And then back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase, but I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com. And we'll send you some more information. Sure, totally. Yeah. Uh, So for anyone who doesn't know me, uh, Cliff Luber, grew up in Missouri originally, uh, been active duty Navy the last eight and a half years or so. And as, as Dave mentioned, coming off of active duty now. Uh, started getting into real estate in 2019 when I purchased my first uh, house in DC after kind of PCSing several times, finally decided to just uh, finally take the big leap and purchase a house for myself. Um, and then really caught the bug, dove deep uh, and, and eventually pursued multifamily um, and have begun raising capital for uh, apartment deals and, and other funds, uh, mainly syndicating uh, money from investors uh, capital. Boom. Alex, it's your time to run the show. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Cliff, you were the first sign up for our Guatemala trip that's coming up. I'm excited to have you. I'm excited to do that. Why did you, why were you so enthusiastic about yeah, really the Guatemala was ready to go. Trip? Well, you did tell me it would sell, you, you told me it would sell out like right away. You're like, well, I don't even know if this will be open in the evening. I was like, well, damn, I better get it done right away. So amazing selling tactics and marketing tactics on your part to, to really inspire. But, uh, no, uh, I mean, you know, I got to meet Dave at a GoBundance event, uh, in Park City earlier this year. Uh, and, you know, that, and then before that had only done like one or two, events kind of meetups in person. Um, so it's a lot of, a lot of my interest before COVID was just by reading books and soaking up podcasts, not really going and getting serious enough for meetups. And then everything kind of just switched to zoom when COVID broke out. So getting to meet and hang out in person was awesome. Uh, and kind of want to do that again. So it seemed like a really cool trip. Also, I've never been to Guatemala. Uh, why wouldn't you want to go to a new place with cool adventures with a professional photographer that's obviously a huge piece of it um so yeah i'm i'm super excited um i'm gonna do that right before my navy paycheck stops so that'll be one of the last last hurrahs for a little bit i i think but yeah i'm, I'm excited <laughs> yeah little known fact alex's camera actually sold more tickets than alex and i combined so very nice excellent yeah. and you'll you're gonna you're yeah. just going to take photos the entire time right yeah so interestingly enough uh something about taking pictures it one it like it messes with my memory. I have a horrible memory, but if I take a picture of something, like it is seared in there. So for me, like I experience life through my camera now and in a very, very uh, interesting way. 
And second, I don't really care. People go like, Alex, you don't have to have your camera. Just like enjoy yourself. And I'm like, dude, I enjoy making my friends look cool and like telling stories. It is like, I didn't know this till I was in my thirties, but it is deeply, deeply ingrained into me. And it's, uh, I'm learning how to get better at it. But yeah, I mean, I- I'm going there to take pictures. That's what I do. I'm going to go there and take some video, uh, tell some stories. That's, it comes out of me. I can't help it. Yeah. So I'm the fact that I get to do it with my friends and tell stories and like, you know, the pictures of John Lalonde came, that came back. Like, I don't know. We went to Iceland together. I took a bunch of pictures for his Tinder. Now he's got a girlfriend and lives in another country. Like, dude, it works. The, the, the Alex photography works. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, Alex is good with the camera, is too real. but to his credit and what he kind of hit on there is, is where Alex really shines is that he has a gift for finding the moment, right? Like Alex, if you watch through like his documentaries of things, it's, it's like some of my best pictures with him are pictures where I didn't even know the camera was up. Right. And he'll find, he'll take something and you're like, no idea. And then there's obviously the ones where I like spot the camera and I like flip them off or whatever. And that one from Vegas is also a good photo, but uh, he's got a gift for finding the moment and capturing like the essence of the moment on camera. So his skills with the camera are great, but his real, I think where he really shines is that he understands people and time and moments and all that other stuff. Yeah, that's stuff. awesome. Cliff, um, I want to talk. You said like, Hey, I didn't really go to any, any real estate meetups. And then I went on, you know, I started going to real estate meetups and now I'm like, let's go on these big adventures and, you know, dive into that a little more because I think a lot of people, um, you know, I gravitated towards meetups really early on in my investing career, but I'm hyper extroverted. Not everybody is. And sometimes they don't see the value in it. And sometimes it's really hard to express the value. You can go to place, you know, you don't get anything out of it and you're like, what the heck was the point? But you know, everybody's experience is different. I'm, I'm curious to see. You must have had a, a really high, like positive experience at a meetup because now you're doing a lot of them. Yeah. Well, my first, first, I'll say conference was the Veterans REI Live in like May of 2020. And I think it was two days and I could not, like, I was, I wasn't even like leaving to pee, like just sitting on my laptop at the kitchen table, just taking as many notes as possible and trying to soak everything up, bought the Q and A and tried to attend as many of those as I could in the weeks following. And could not believe, you know, the, just the awesome speakers that, um, were there. And, and it was, it was just so, so cool. And I, in fact, now I think about it, it was two days. It was a Friday and a Saturday. The Friday I had to work. So it was like in person. So I didn't even catch any of those. Um, but I did catch the second half, uh, and Saturday and was like, oh man, this is just everything I kind of wanted to hear, you know? And then I realized that a lot of those people who spoke there were not these, you know, I mean, they were amazing people, but they weren't you know, untouchable, right? It wasn't impossible to hop on a call with them. It wasn't impossible to be within their, be in their circle later on. Like within six months, I remember hearing Jeremy hands and Bob Preston talk about mobile home parks within six months, you know, through just networking, like a buddy of mine found a mobile home park and I brought it to them and they own it with climb capital. Now, like that, that type of stuff, it it wasn't something I was looking to do, but it just, you know, you're, you're able to get access and kind of realize that people are untouchable. Like when I was first getting started, I remember listening to Dave on, Anthony Pinto's podcast, um, like listening to it while I was working um, at work in the Pentagon and just had it on and was like, man, it'd be really cool to get to know this guy. And then I was like, oh, wow, he like has this mastermind group and has a Facebook group and he posts all the time. Oh, cool. I could have plenty of access to his brain and what he's thinking. Um, and so it was just really cool to start to get to be around those people, whether it was hopping on Zoom calls, you know, every Saturday um, for the war room uh, or those conferences. And, and it was everything I needed to hear at the time. So long-winded answer to kind of say, like, I think if you're, if you, I discovered that those events were kind of just what I was looking for. And now I kind of am more interested in interacting in person in not just like a conference style, but actually like hanging out and just being friends and, and having a good time. Can we just go back and hone in on the part where he got access to me and he still likes events? Like, <laughs> it says right. a lot about your Crazy. personality. <laughs> must be nuts. That's right. <laughs> Can we go back to the point where he said i think i like this guy david then he spent time with you and he still thinks he likes yeah, you i don't know what's it's wrong with crazy him. right like, it's kind of nuts <laughs> yeah wait till guatemala it's only because there's a volcano around i don't want to hear like, about kilimanjaro oh yeah okay there uh, we go. yeah so the real estate well i tell people this all the time that the the military or veteran like real estate community is remarkable and just, I mean, it is absolutely nuts what people are doing out there. Like there is no asset class that people, uh, veterans are not touching, that people on active duty are still not building businesses on. And I think it's great. And I listened to a podcast with Colby Bowers um, talking about who, 
has syndicated a lot of deals in Arkansas, and I think he does Minnesota a little bit as well. He was on a podcast and met him through the military real estate community as well. He also runs a nonprofit, and they were doing a trip that was initially going to go to Everest Base Camp, but was canceled because of COVID. So they ended up doing it to Kilimanjaro. And so I you know, talked to him a little bit about real estate a couple of times and then decided to ask him, like, hey, could I help raise money for it and come along on the trip? And he said, absolutely, um, because I was really moved by the, the groups of people that he had gone through the Marcus Institute of Brain Health for, who were all veterans with PTSD or some sort of brain injury. And they basically got help through several weeks through that program. And, and the Marcus Institutes, they're popping up all over the country. And the Marcus person, I think he's like the owner, one of the founders of Home Depot, if I remember right. So part of his philanthropy, uh, philanthropy is um, brain research, PTSD research, things like that. So a lot of all the guys that were in his class, basically through that institute, um, a lot of former veterans, a couple of EMT folks as well. Um, came on the trip and I, and I tagged along as kind of the videographer, photographer. Um, and man, it was awesome. We did a, a seven day hike, um, summited on the second to last day. It was so tough. So for everyone else's backstory, Dave donated to the trip. Uh, and I told him, Hey, I will take a picture at the summit with your book because I read it on the trip. Um, but I was so tired and winded at the summit that I kind of forgot to do that. <laughs> um, and he was still a really good guy about it, uh, for everyone who's listening. So that's why I'm going on the Guatemala trip because he, he didn't burn me super badly for not keeping my promise. Um, but yeah, the summit push was really wild. Uh, it was like we woke up at 1130 at night. It was like five degrees out, could barely hear ourselves talk to each other because it was so windy. Um, and then we slept in winter coats, gloves, the whole, the whole thing and just started walking uphill for like six hours. Um, and it was, it was really neat, uh, to kind of push through something that difficult, but I've never really had any, I've never had a six hour March where every step, the, the air is getting thinner and thinner, right? Like I've done some field stuff with the Marines and whatnot, even though I'm in the Navy, but did it during college and have rucked and stuff. Um, and even ran six miles, uh, or even done things for six hours, but not that. Um, so it was really, really cool. Uh, and it felt amazing being at the top and then going down was actually awful. Uh, it was like 10 hours of downhill. <laughs> we went down like uh, 9,000 feet. So it's just, if you just imagine going down the stairs for an entire day um, after having already hiked up, up, up that morning. So that was uh, kind of grueling, but overall it is a really beautiful uh, trek. I mean, it's not really mountaineering though. It is one of the seven summits, which was kind of another cool thing. Like got to be at the top of one of the continents of the world like that not everyone can get to say that yeah so i asked that because well for one it's awesome that you did that uh but i know alex i think is doing kilimanjaro next next year and or john or maybe both but i got an invite to do it uh from a gobro last month and i'll be honest i was kind of looking to hear what your answer was regarding the altitude because i don't do well with altitude like when i got up to fifteen thousand feet in peru uh I don't know that I could have gone any higher. I was, I was hurting. It was bad. Um, probably the closest to a panic attack I've ever had. So I was yeah, curious sure. kind of what your response would be because Kilimanjaro is another three or 4,000 feet over that, right? It's like 19. Yeah. Depending on which trek you do, you'll spend the night before probably at around 16,000 feet and then go up to 19 that morning. That push was definitely tough. I felt okay at 16,000, but we did. And I said seven earlier, we actually did the eight day trek, which is the longest one because we wanted to summit it, right? Like we don't have anything to prove by being like, oh, we did it in five or six days. So I think the extra days though really help getting more sleep at altitude. And I think at one point we went up to 14 and I had a horrible headache and we ate lunch at 14. And I was like, this is going to be rough. Um, but then we went back down to 12, slept, slept there that night as that was a part of the plan. Um, and then the next time we got to 14 was totally fine. So there's some, there's a, there's good, you know, climatization kind of strategies built in. Um, and you definitely walk slow. This is something you'll both figure out. And if anyone's done it, like they say, poli pole, which means slow in Swahili. Um, and they're basically saying like poli pole, like just slow down. And when you actually go and do the trek, you're taking like very slow and deliberate steps. Like it's very, um, very, very slow. It's like almost like you're walking at like half speed, uh, if not less. Um, because so that helps as well. Again, that you're not gassing yourself by just kind of, you know, booking it and trying to, you know, hump with a ruck on or something like not nowhere near that pace. Yeah, I think I'm scheduled to do it in 2024. Uh, next year, I'm going to do two weeks in Portugal, but that won't be elevation. That'll just be, you know, every day hiking every day, 12 miles a day for 
for two weeks. So a little bit different. Yeah. I went to Colorado for like four or five days beforehand just to sleep at 8,000 feet. So that way the 11 and 12,000, maybe we didn't quite hit me so hard because I live at the top of my house, which was, you know, 16 feet above sea level, I think. So it's not like I had a huge uh, advantage and all the other vets that I went on with the trip lived in Colorado. And a lot of them lived in like see the mountains just west of Denver, like, you know, at 9,000, 10,000 feet. So it was definitely a little easier for them in that sense. But the we did breath work stuff, like very holistic training beforehand about how to do it. Like when you're exhaling, uh, you want to do it super slowly. And then you actually want to let the air kind of mix like carbon dioxide and oxygen mix. That's kind of one of the better ways to like actually clear out your lungs and then allows you to take deeper breaths. And um, yeah, so that all, all that type of stuff would help and happy to talk about it more later, Dave, but it's definitely possible. I mean, I took, um, what's the pill people usually take for altitude sickness? Oh, um, yeah. Um, whatever it is, yeah, I was, my doctor prescribed it. Um, yeah. So anyway, that helped. Um, it's a diuretic though. So you'll probably, and you need to hydrate. So you'll probably be peeing like 15 times a day. So it's kind of, kind of wild experience there too, but overall really awesome. The views were incredible. We were only at the summit for like 10 minutes. Um, but it was, was just amazing. Um, it was really, really neat to do. You go through like five so ecosystems too, when you're doing the trek to get there. So the drug that's illegal in every sport because it's dope, basically red blood cell doping. Oh, nice. I, I guess that makes sense. Well, yeah, do that dope up and that'll help too. Pretty much a lot of people were doing that. So Yeah. I got a problem because I want to take my camera, but like, there's no way to charge my batteries along the way. So I'm really, I'm, I'm already stressing about, you know, I knew a guy who, uh, I knew, there was a guy on our trip who had uh, sleep apnea. So he slept with a CPAP machine and his was run on batteries. It was not some like travel one that could fit in your pocket. He was hauling fifth size batteries, one, one battery per night. So like, and I think depending on the, the trekking company, you'll get like, I think you get, 40 pounds or something like that to your bag that a porter will carry. And then you're carrying the rest. So if you like, are willing that. to like rewear the same clothes, you know, then you could probably fit some of the weight for batteries for your camera. Bro, let me give you a, let me give you a travel tip. I'm gonna give everybody a travel tip. The best travel tip that I've learned in a long time. Um, Merino wool, bro. Merino wool. Everything I wear now when I go travel is Merino wool. You can wear it a couple of days in a row. It doesn't stink. It doesn't get wet. It doesn't nothing. It's like, you know that all Under Armour tech that they that they was popular for a few years, and now I don't think it's as popular. It's like what they wish that could be. This stuff it's pricey, but like everything I wear now, short sleeves, long sleeves, underwear, socks, everything, merino wool, game changer. Just, Doesn't stink as long as you don't do what I did in Peru. We did the five day trek with John. Uh, me, me and John did the five day trek to Machu Picchu, and. We do day one and, you know, I, I had the checklist and I, John had used the checklist. So there were some notes on it. And so then I used the checklist and I got everything. And then on the morning of day two, I'm like digging through my bag and I'm like, I didn't bring a single pair of underwear. Oh no. And so I got to play the like inside out, backwards, upside down, wash it in the creek game for five days. <laughs> It's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah. That was like the only thing yeah, I John, forgot. And I'm like, great. Perfect. <laughs> that's travel 101. I always forget something. John John Marty and I got to Iceland in uh, April and then we get there it's like sunrise and we go to the coast and it's like freezing cuz it's by the coast and we're like, bro, it's so cold out here. We were underprepared. None of us had brought um gloves, beanies, uh or face masks, baklavas, uh or like under like uh what do you call it? Like under like uh, long johns. So we immediately, like the first day, went to the store and like loaded up on all this ice gear. I was like, oh, Iceland, who knew it'd be so cool? <laughs> Go figure. Um, oh, let's talk man. about, let's talk about, I'd be, I'd be messed up if I didn't talk a little bit about real estate. Let's talk about your real estate journey. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mentioned I did a, uh, in 2019, bought my first single family house and that was in DC. So I, once I bought that and I bought that with a buddy of mine, um, because I was so timid to buying a property, like just wasn't quite ready to do it on my own wanted a little more top cover, wanted to kind of hedge some of the personal financial risk. And my buddy felt the same way. So we both went on it together, still on it together. And him and I were looking to in, buy something else in DC in particular, because that's where we were living. And uh, But then we realized if we bought another house, we'd probably be out of money um, in DC because it's just such an expensive market. So I started looking, like researching more passive investment opportunities, or at least ones with smaller you know, dollar requirements than putting like 
80 grand down on a, a DC house, right? Like uh, something less and discovered syndications. Um, and then by nature of, you know, veterans REI live and just networking a lot that summer in 2020 with the kind of the new free time that I had because of COVID, um, you know, networked with tons and tons of syndicators. And then by the end of that summer I had invested in five syndications as an LP as a passive investor. And so doing that kind of, and I was looking for those investments as well. Like, and I love, I love about your guys' pod is, is that you guys talk about other things besides just real estate in the sense, like, you know, and you invest in other things like index funds, TSP, the stock market. Like I'm a believer in those things as well, but I was only investing in the stock market. So I was looking to diversify and that was, that was my big thing. Um, and so found those syndications and then realized like, wait, what these G general partners, the GPs are doing like on a monthly, weekly basis, like managing the property, bringing investors in. Like I really liked what they were doing and decided that I wanted to do it for myself. Um, so I started telling other people about it, like buddies of mine people in the Navy, maybe even their parents, like, Hey, I've just invested in some apartment deals. Yes. It's, yes. It's a thing. No, it's not a scam. Blah, blah, blah. Like kind of just talking through how exactly a lot of that can work and built an investor list before I even had my first deal. Um, and then eventually joined forces with Michael and Susie, um, in the war room. Oh, Michael Barnhart is in the war room and then Susie Sevier is his wife. They are both awesome partners. I think I've done four deals with them now, but we were a team, did our first deal together at the end of 2020. And then we're also working with Tareen Singletary from the War Room as well. Um, and we had a lot of War Room investors on our first apartment deal, and we still own that one as well. Um, but that was really what kind of got my start was being an LP first, being able to you know put money on the line, put trust in other operators, and then turn around and kind of ask passive investors to do the same. Yeah, I remember seeing you guys pull that together and it was super cool because when we started the, you know, war room community, there wasn't a there was no like, oh, people are going to come together and do deals. It was just like bringing cool people into the same room to, you know, who are serious about real estate and seeing what we could build. And then all of a sudden it was like three or four or five of you guys all went in on this apartment and took it down together and I'm like, okay, this is cool. And now there's <laughs> right. actually quite a few like either partnerships formed or people doing deals together. And I'm like, pretty rad. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I don't think besides that DC house, I don't think I own anything. Well, no, there's maybe two, there's two apartments in Norfolk. Um, but besides that, uh, 11 or nine, nine or 10 other commercial properties and five or six single family homes I own with people from the war room. Like I don't really partner with anyone else. Like Charlie Cameron and I became good buddies. We were in a squad together. Him and I run a short term rental management company together. Uh, own a couple of Airbnbs together as well. We'll probably buy more together in the future too, depending on how the market cools down next year. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of deals with Michael and Susie. Did a couple with Marcus Long that Michael and Susie weren't on. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I talked to Doug Spence a couple times a week. Like, I'm mean, getting lunch with Johnny Lynham on Friday to meet him in person for the first time. Like, I feel like he's like the godfather of the the war room a bit, like just this old season guy who's just absolutely crushing it. Like and there's a lot of examples of people like that in the war room, but yeah, it's awesome. And I rarely will, I think in the future do properties or do deals rather and own properties with people that aren't at least a veteran, if not in the war room. So it's an awesome community that you built, Dave. You heard it here first. Cliff said, join the war room or you can't do any deals with them. I, I think <laughs> I've gotten like 10 or 11 people, maybe even more to join. And it's not because, I benefit from it in any way. It's just because there's a lot of veterans who will want to hop on a phone call and, and then they tell me about what they're doing and what they're looking to do. And I'm like, I got the perfect thing for you. And I don't think it's 50 bucks anymore, but it was an easy sell when it was, I think it's a hundred now. Right. So, but even then, I mean, no one tell Dave this, but I would have paid a lot more money to join knowing what I know now. Um, and it, the, the X, you know, equity multiple return on, on those monthly payments that I make to be a part of the war room aren't even, aren't anything um, because the equity multiples would be nuts. So yeah, it, it's a great group. If you're a veteran and even if you don't, you know, think you have the time for a weekly meeting with the squad, like there's still a lot going on. Um, and it's awesome. In fact, I'll probably do it tonight, but there's always a good, like, Hey, I haven't talked to anyone in the war in a while. Here's my calendly five or six people. Like just, just, just talk. It just happens. People are just like, yeah, I want to talk to you. Great. You know, I haven't talked to anyone new in the war room in a little bit, so I'm going to want to do that. But yeah, it was an awesome group and it was exactly what I kind of needed. Um, at the time, uh, you know, Marcus Long, I remember I talked to him about it after Veterans REI Live. I just saw him wearing a Mizzou hat, and I was from Missouri, and he was too, it turned out. So he was one of my earlier 
calls. And then he had mentioned he was part of the war room. Um, in fact, I went to his, I went to Kansas city last weekend, went to his Navy retirement ceremony, um, which was awesome. Um, and it was really cool to hear what he's actually done in the Navy because I really didn't know I could have given you his real estate resume, like verbatim <laughs> told you every single deal he's invested in passively and where he owns properties and everything. But I couldn't really tell you much about what he did uh, in the military, but it was, it was good to brush up on that side of him. <laughs> are you, are you moving back here? No, I will. So I just got engaged. Um, you can congratulate me later. But uh, myself Ooh, and my right fiance now. Laura are gonna are gonna live in. Uh, uh, we live in Northern Virginia, um, and that's where we'll be for at least another year or two. Um, I love Missouri, though, man. I miss it a lot. I don't know that I'd ever move back to the Lake of the Ozarks where I grew up. My sister lives in Kansas City, um, and Kansas City is one of my favorite cities in the world. So it'd be pretty cool to be able to. Well, next time you're in town, let me know. Kansas City is only like a two hour drive. I will. Yeah, and Springfield is is pr- the closest major city I'd say to where I grew up. Like we didn't have a mall in Camdenton, so I would have to go to uh, Springfield to go and get you know soccer cleats or uh, wrestling shoes, whatever it might be. So, all right, we won't we won't de- you know we're going to lose Alex if we talk about Missouri because he's that's just- true. We could <laughs> could talk about how it's the salty the earth, God's country, all that stuff, but we don't have to. I don't even know where Alex is from. You're a little too. Uh, nobody like, does. He's yeah. like the only person from the state. There's you have like, like RT like San Francisco kind of vibes, or like, but you probably less from, people in the from entire anywhere. state <laughs> than there are in Springfield. I actually love being an enigma. Everybody knows like my vibe. Nobody knows anything about me. Alex is from Rhode Island. <laughs> Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. And, wow. and to date, I think he's the only person I've ever met in the military from Rhode Island, or ever. Like, I don't know that I've ever actually run into anyone else from Rhode Island that I know. Yeah, definitely not many. Yeah, we don't want to let you in all our secrets like coffee milk and Dell's lemonade. Uh, I, Dell's is pretty good. I was stationed in Newport for a little while. Oh, was, Dell's go. was nice. Yeah. But yeah, we don't have to talk too much about Missouri. I want to know a little bit more about what we're going to do in Guatemala, but I suppose I could just, you know, review everything you've put out no, about no, it already. You, you want to give no, Alex a chance much to talk about, about it. it. Guatemala, <laughs> let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Here's the core of it, ready? And this is this is what I want sort of, um, this is a good story. And I want people to know, and I don't think this is going to, this hopeless episode airs before we uh, we go. Maybe we can sell it. I mean, if you guys keep talking about Guatemala, it would only be stupid of me not to push this episode not to, out. Not to, not to <laughs> move it forward. But it would be pretty yeah, yeah, funny yeah. This is the next if episode. this, this comes out, out and people go to look at our social media and they're like, Damn it! It already happened. <laughs> this guy, that happened to me a while back. I think Dave, because I was listening. There were all these people where I was like, "Oh, cool! I want to learn more about what this person did." So I'd listen to you on like other podcasts. I did the same thing with like Mike Foster at ADPI, and then I'd be like, "So," and I, I think I told you, Dave, I was like, so "You live in Hawaii?" You're like, "No, no, no! I lived there like years ago." I was like, "Oh, well, the episode like that I listened to last week was like two and a half years old, but I, you know, it's a little, a little out of date." So people might miss the trip if they do listen to it. Right we'll get we'll get it out before. Sure. <laughs> Guatemala came to be because, especially you know, we're especially because uh the all of us are in the military and it has a special connotation um, for private service members, although it's not reserved for those for us by any means. There's a bunch of civilians coming, um, but the idea was basically like, hey, I, I want to find a community of like-minded people, and you know, r- specifically in real estate. And so what I ended up doing was doing podcasts. I ended up doing like online groups and conferences. And I love all of those things, but what I found that the real bonding, the real like life relationships came was from like these small group sort of hangouts. And then it turned into like small group destination hangouts. Like, Hey, it's not so much that I want to go, you know, to a bar on Wednesday night or uh, Friday night, which is great and hang out with a bunch of like-minded people. It's like, let's all go to somewhere together. Let's all go sort of like a conference, but like 10 of us, maybe less. And then, you know, this other idea, for me, particularly, was I started to realize I was like all the relationships that I was getting in real estate, we weren't meeting because of real estate. Like we all shared real estate in common, but that's not what like brought us together. It was like all these other human things, right? Like yeah, a lot of it is shared experience because we're military, but a lot of it is like shared experience. Like oh my god, you know, Dave, that that time we hiked that lone mountain in Las Vegas. Like these these really unique life experiences that you know, like they go into your they go into the. They go and become the stories that you tell other people who you are when they meet you. And then it's like, dude, now you've become a different person because of this place and this adventure you went on with somebody. And then you combine all that with um, and something everybody who's been in the military will, I think, identify with deeply is the thing that bonds people more than anything is shared trauma. And so it's like, oh, I went through something hard with somebody. And so the idea was like, how can we go across the country, which is in and of itself sort of difficult logistically, right? It costs a little bit of money. It costs a little bit of time. 
It's you got to plan it. You got to say yes. You got to get packed. Like it's a, you know, you don't know what the heck's going to happen. And so we're going to go um, to South America. You got to get a passport. And then we're going to go hike this volcano because it seems like pretty, it's like a hard hike, right? It's like 15 miles and 5,000 foot elevation. It's going to be a pain in the ass. And then we're going to do it at sun. We're going to do it at night so that we're at the top during sunrise. And I was like, dude, this is both beautiful and miserable. This is, there's no better way to bond a bunch of people than to go through this together. Cause then you're like, I don't, nobody else in my experience in my whole world shares this except me. And so military people all share this sort of the same thing. But you know, my military experience is in Kabul with a bunch of guys that I don't talk to anymore. And you guys probably have similar experiences about going overseas and with people that maybe you're friends with, but maybe they don't do real estate. And so now you have a chance to go off and you're going to do this grueling height with your real estate friends. And like, now I'm going to know you for the next 15, 20 years, both, you know, from this thing, but also, um, you know, not only do we share the military background, now we have this singular shared experience. And so, uh, everybody's going is pretty much, yeah, everybody that's going is in the mil- is in, uh, is in real estate. Almost all of them are military background. And I was like, dude, let's, it's actually a bit harder to get people to sign up, um, than I thought. But the problem is not because my salesmanship is poor. My, the problem has been, um, I haven't been trying that hard to sell it. So, uh, the group of people that's coming, everybody from, uh, a guy like Cliff Luber and, you know, losers like David Prey to, I got my buddy who's, uh, an investor who's, he's in fucking NASA. He's a NASA engineer who worked on, um, uh, the uh james webb telescope so there's like a really really interesting and diverse group, set of people that are coming and blake and his wife and, uh, i'm really really super excited about it yeah it's gonna be fun and then so there's one anomaly non-real estate person well i guess kate is also a non-real estate person per se yeah um, my girlfriend kate is gonna come because she's a quite the adventurous soul she'll easily be the most traveled person in the group <laughs> and then um, uh, i no, have tom a, wasn't in the military he's not in the military so there's a there's a yeah, there's a short handful i was gonna say there's a, a somebody who i served with in california who was just like this looks fun i'm in I'm booked nice. in. <laughs> and she is a game warden on camp pendleton right now and so in addition to hiking this volcano which is i think is going to be like sort of the 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 center point of the trip. We also, um, we have ATV riding adventure planned. We have uh, potentially weather depending. We're going to go paragliding. Um, oh, I can't wait. For we that. got a, we got a sick Airbnb with some like world-class chef, class chef. That's going to cook us dinner on top on the rooftop of our Airbnb. Um, we're going to this lake apparently that you can only get to by boat. I mean, uh, yeah, like this, the place that you can only get to by the boat on this, uh, on this really specific lake, I don't know the details, but it's a it's a bunch of it's really like the deepest lake in we South America. We got a coffee America and booze tour throughout whatever. the city of Antigua, so it's gonna be cool. Um, I have a feeling that we're not going to get to all of it, which is the best way to go on an adventure, like cram it all in. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think in, it, in, in the email marketing, I actually put like, "This is not a vacation. It is a <laughs> adventure of like, like you're not going to just sit on the beach and relax. Sorry, it's going to be a good time." Yeah. Sarah will be there. She's not in the military. She's not, she's not prior to So there'll be a couple of us. Um, the, uh, yeah, I hate it. I hate vacation. I only go on adventures. And there's something to be said. You hit the nail on the head for like shared physical exertion or, or struggles, right? Like that Peru trip was life changing for me because it was hard and fun and with friends and, you know, hiking a volcano together is going to be intense and it's going to be a really solid way to bond. And, I think that's nail on the head, right? Like the closest platoon I was ever in in the military was the one that I got hazed the most in. <laughs> you know, we we did some dumb stuff, but I still talk to half those guys. In fact, I just sent one a copy of my book yesterday for free. You know? Yeah, I didn't realize that was part of the intention behind uh, behind that, Alex. But I, I think, I mean, I had the same same experiences, like you know, kind of BS going through at the Naval Academy, like having to bear crawl in snow or just kind of do some dumb stuff that we were forced to do uh, by our seniors and stuff like that, that type of shared experience is still what I'm, what I reflect on with a lot of my Naval Academy friends and stuff like that and other crappy experiences uh, where you're tired and whatnot in the Navy. I, I definitely can empathize with that. So glad we're mimicking that on vacation. <laughs> we, <laughs> might wanna, vacation we might want to preface that Alex is not going to be screaming at you to do burpees in the snow, right, in the yeah, volcano, won't be. but <laughs> but it'll be a different kind of shared trauma. It's, yeah. It'll be my, my last month, technically on active duty and uh, Alex is going to make me really, really feel like, <laughs> feel like it'll, I'm still in. <laughs> it'll be the moment when everyone realizes, Hey, wait, it's really hard to breathe at 12,000 feet. And this is, you know, that, that feeling of like, I, I'm trying to breathe. I think I'm breathing. Yeah, my body be no doesn't joke. recognize it. 
Diamox, actually, I just remembered what it was. That, that was the, yeah, that was it. Diamox is what we'll need for that. That'll be awesome, though. I can't wait. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I'm excited to meet some other people in person, like Blake Daly. In fact, you, you mentioned you should include him as people not in the military because he's so successful that I cannot believe that he's actually on active duty. So he should also count in the I'm sure group of people who are not in the military. But yeah, it'll be good to hang out with him and, and some others. Yeah. Well, and his wife. Well, you Navy and Air Force people, I don't really consider you to be in the military anyway. It's fair. <laughs> we, <laughs> that is definitely fair. <laughs> His wife, uh, yeah, Blake and his wife, and you're right, they're both rock stars. Blake and his wife, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I'm pretty be- sure they think it's a vacation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they, they will be a bit Blake? surprised unless they listen to this episode. <laughs> okay, have you seen Blake though? Like, it's it, he's he's not someone that I think is going to have to worry about hiking a mountain. Yeah, that's true. I'll probably Freaking be fine. Air Force yeah. Academy football player still looks like he works out. He'll be all yeah. right. You and I aren't quite Captain America anymore, so we'll have to make sure we can, <laughs> can survive. Hey, Sarah's going to be at base camp, Cliff. So if we die, we can just crawl back we to Sarah someone, and be like, hey, Sarah, we need, the, we need the alcohol while they're still hiking. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, and it, it's kind of cool, too, that it's not um, – you know, there's a lot of mastermind trips, right? Like Abundance has some of them, and I think those are really great. But the fact that this one's not tailored to do that specifically, but it probably will end up having some of that anyway just by nature of the people who are on it is a good blend of – um, you know, kind of a healthy, healthy relationships and relationships with people that aren't just real estate transactions, right? Like, I think that's something that if you're only do deals together, you know, if I only text Charlie about work and real estate, then, you know, I'm going to be, see that way to him, see him that way to him. And he's going to see that way to me. So like, you know, I just want to make sure that, and it'll be cool to, to actually just have some genuine non-real estate related experiences with people that you meet on the internet. So it should be cool. Real estate, yeah. I mean, people do business with people they like. So this is a this is an effort in finding people you like. The real estate kind of becomes easier once you're like, you know, I love that dude. You know, I love that guy. I love that. I can trust that guy. We've had this experience together. Like we can do business together. But trying to do it the other way is I don't want to say harder. It's just I don't know. The other thing was like you, like you said, I, I never wanted to make a. Uh, th- there's so much information about real estate now. It's abundant. It's it's, it's completely democratized. The, there is almost no value in it. Um, and that's part of the reason why we pivoted this podcast. In fact, where I was like, dude, the, the value is all in people now, right? Anything you want to know about real estate, you can get the information almost for free, right? Pretty much for free. There's no secrets. And so well, and anyone who finds a secret, it isn't one for long because you'll be like, Oh, this guy's doing, you know, land deals and here's how they're doing it. And they, they sell a course and then people are talking about it. Like, it does, yeah, it definitely doesn't stay a secret for very long. <laughs> Right. So the, the scarcity is relationships. The scarcity is like finding people you actually like. And that's not as easy. And, and especially nowadays, actually, because there's so much, there's so much posturing on the internet. There's so much, um, salesmanship. There's so much fluff. There's so much, there's so many courses and this and that. And I was like, dude. And the other thing is, you know, everybody seems really amazing when they're behind, um, a camera with a nice light and a, and a fancy lens. And, you know, they have this very curated experience. And I'll tell you what, man. Um, when you go hike 15 miles, when you go to a when you go overseas, you find out how somebody really is. And so if you want to know somebody's um full of shit or if they're real, go spend go spend 5 days in another country with them and go do something tough and the the real will come out of them and you'll find out if they're if they're legit or not. So this is like the ultimate BS detector. I can tell you the exactly how I'm going to be about 10,000 feet is going to be <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, just leave me. I'll be there. <laughs> Right, that's how I was at about twelve uh, I got short legs in Peru. I and was like low endurance, so I'll be in the same boat. That's not the point. The point is to do it. <laughs> the point is to let Cliff drag me up the hill. I and then, or by Blake. the way, I'll be shit talking you the whole way. <laughs> I was I was in denial about how much the altitude fucked my world up until we got down from the first time we went up to like thirteen or fourteen thousand feet, and it was like this lake. You got to like twelve thousand, had lunch, and then we went up to this lake. It was like a kilometer and a half and like a thousand feet climb and then looked at the lake came back down and i was like totally in denial about how much the altitude had wrecked me until we're sitting at dinner and i couldn't eat and i'm just like staring at my food and i'm like i did like 12 miles of hiking at altitude today and i have a healthy appetite and i can't eat anything and i was like what's wrong with me and the guy's like oh altitude <laughs> sickness and i'm like i don't feel sick he's like no no if you've got no appetite he's like you need to force yourself to eat dude yeah and i'm like oh a very like, rare feeling for me as well but i remember a couple of times i was not hungry um yeah it's which is strange kind of, kind of bizarre he's kind of 
you know, just got to push through. Uh, kind of crazy. Definitely a weird uh, feeling. Alex, you, you, hit on something, um, you hit on something earlier about the, like, just that there's so much information out there. So how did, and, and Dave, to you too, like, how have you guys kind of decided, like, what things you will and will not work on? You know, like, what asset classes you won't touch, what type of projects you won't do? Or are you just kind of still open to, you know, anything and everything? Because it's, it's cool about, like, so my advice if people were, you know, worried about trying to figure out what to do or there's so many things and so many resources, just pick a couple and stick with them as resources, like pick a couple of mastermind groups and podcasts and books and just kind of hone in on those. But even in the war room, like there's someone doing almost everything. Um, so it's easy to just kind of pick up on what the next person's doing. Right. But how have you kind of focused? Um, I, I'll tell you my answer. I'm going through a very weird transition period. I got into real estate in 2015, 16, when the market was uh, very depressed and I'm a fairly risk averse guy. And in fact, I should have gone way harder in real estate uh, then, but I, for whatever reason, I was, I was a little scared. And then um, I don't know, it seemed to get more popular as the risk went up, right? In 2015, 16, 17, 18 prices were hyper depressed and debt was cheap. And then somewhere around um, 19, we hit the retail market. And then in 20, um, I don't know what happened. Something weird happened, but, Inventory went down. Uh, rates really didn't come up that much. Very little. They didn't really come down either. Rates stayed the same. Inventory went down. Uh, prices went way up and people's confidence went up. And that scares the ever living out of me because the environment got more difficult and less lucrative and people got more confident. And so ever since 2020, I've been very scared of real estate to my own detriment because a lot of people have made a lot of money, uh, at least in the short run in 20, uh, 2020 and 2021 and now 2022. So. Uh, I mean, I, I bought a, my 52 unit in, in 2020. So I mean, I haven't done nothing, but last year and this year definitely been very scared. And so I look at it and I ask that same question to you is like, what should I do? Trying to buy multifamily right now, you know, I'm looking at anywhere from 100 to 200 units in North Carolina and I'm, I'm underwriting deals that make 2%. It doesn't make any sense. And I've been doing that now for quite a while. And this idea that you're like, Oh, there's always deals we made. Oh, you just got to push through. Oh, you can stick through it. And I, I agree with some of that. I do, but I think a lot of people now are pivoting. I, I, I take that back. I know a lot of people are pivoting. And so the question is, what do you pivot to? And you can pivot to other asset classes in real estate. And sometimes that works. And, and sometimes you can take the skills that you have and, and move them on to the next thing. But here's what I really think. Uh, here, here, I'm trying to take a drastic step because I, I never was in love with real estate. I was loved with, um, underpriced assets. What I don't want to do is go buy retail assets and then hope the market goes up. That's not a strategy that works for me. I want to buy something that's sort of, I'm very contrarian by nature. So I want to buy something that's sort of underpriced. So I don't know what's going to happen in real estate over the next 18 to 24 months. I think we're going to see a, a dramatic shift in people's confidence. And, and if confidence comes down, then mine will go up. And that's just the way I am. But in the meantime, I think the next big asset class that I'm looking at is uh, content attention. And so David's done a really good job about, um, you know, branding, putting his, his content out there. And I think uh, I've done okay, not as good as I should have, but I'm definitely in a weird spot now where people, big, big names that we all know um, on YouTube and podcasts and stuff are asking me to come out and do videography. And I look at them and go, why would I make you popular when I can make myself popular? I have a bigger personality than most of them. And so I think my current trajectory is to, I'd love to keep buying real estate, but I'm not going to buy a price, a property that, you know, nine months ago, you know, <laughs> that, that went up 50% in the last 12 yeah, months. It just, it just seems crazy to me. And they're like, well, but it might go up 50% in the next 12 months. And, and people are playing, they're playing two games that I absolutely refuse to play. They're playing the, this time is different game. And they're playing the real estate only goes up game. And I don't like playing either of those games. So if I have to do that to make money in real estate, I refuse. Maybe to my own detriment. Some people, a lot of people are going to make a lot of money without me. And that's okay. Uh, so right now, while real estate's difficult, because that's what I know, I'm going to, um, uh, we're going to go hard on content. Nice. Yeah. I've, I haven't, I wouldn't say I've pivoted away from real estate. I think I've pivoted within real estate a lot. Um, but I, you know, I also haven't really ever had anything in my portfolio. I mean, stocks, sure, but mainly real estate wise, that could more than two X. Like I've never had anything with more upside than that, seemingly. So I, I recently made three very small uh, angel investments in startups. And that's kind of what I've decided. I think I want to try and contribute to doing a little bit. Cause I think like when you, 
when you invest in something financially, like you're kind of becoming a part of it, right? You're supporting the cause. And I think there's a couple of, uh, particularly home, I think, I think in the future, like home ownership, particularly with single families will be like fractional in that, like you will probably just own a share of a portfolio of single family homes. And that will be what real estate is for you. So I invested in two companies that are doing that and one that's trying to kind of tokenize real estate investments. And those are high, very higher risk, high reward. Um, but I, you know, I'm comfortable seeing that as kind of gambling. It's like worse than the stock market probably, because I think with publicly traded companies, you can at least like look at their books and that episode you guys recently had, um, the guy who, you know, would look at like 30 different things about a company before investing in them. Right. Like that, that type of stuff is, is great. Um, and I think there's still that, that in a way is a bit more, uh, research intensive than, kind of assuming that some, that some trend is going to catch up. So I've been kind of like what you said, where you think undervaluing assets, I've kind of been just looking at trends and trying to think about more of the long-term in that sense. The multifamily trend is come and is probably here to stay, but is also come and gone on buying things undervalued. So, you know, we, I closed on an apartment, 106 units with Marcus Long, Michael and Susie in July, I think it was. And I was telling a lot of my investors, like, and people had already invested, not ones I was trying to get to say yes, but I think this is probably gonna be our last apartment for a while. Like I just don't see any reason in the market. And um, so pivoted RV parks and, and I'm working on building our short-term rental management company. That's kind of what I'm focusing on. But then obviously some of the angel investments too, I think have been really cool. And How do you have so much money? I don't, oh, these are $5,000, you know, low dollar oh. investments. <laughs> they're not, uh, they're not like <laughs> syndication type investments. Um, no, but so, you you made you made four LP investments of four of those fifty grand a pop. They were not no. So I invested in an LLC with my buddy um, for a lot of them. So we split that, and then also some of them um, were like towards the end of a raise. Like, hey, we've got fifteen grand left. You guys want to split it? Yep, we're in. Um, which I've I uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the honesty because yeah. you sound like rich as fuck. <laughs> no, 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 definitely <laughs> not. Uh, definitely more, much more. Uh, diversified and, and low dollar. But um, I think that gave me the confidence though, to be able to, I don't know. I mean, there's always a PPM dollar value that says, here's what the true, true minimum is. And it does not have to be, you know, 50 grand now, whether or not people can do the raise without your money. And it's, and then you're kind of just like left out. Oh, okay, if you want in, it's kind of hard to play that game. But we, I just happened to catch a couple of raises towards the end of it. Um, and then also investing with a buddy made it pretty easy too. And I have a couple of my investors who have made LLCs with like their parents split that up. They have their operating agreement and then they can all invest, you know, uh, lower dollar amounts each, um, hedging some of the risk, not as a family, but you know, as an individual, I'd like to make two points, um, based on what you just said. First, uh, there is a PPM with a minimum amount. They never advertise that minimum. If they tell you 50, it's probably 25, maybe it's lower. The way to get in on those investments, if you're listening and you want to be an LP investor on a bigger deal, see what it's like, get your toes wet, and you want to be a smaller investor, but they don't advertise that, the best way to do so is to be easy to deal with. The last thing <laughs> yeah. that anybody wants, right? Did you hear about that lawsuit? Um, okay, hang on. The last thing, let me finish this up. The last thing that anybody wants is to be doing a big syndication. We raised $20 million and our biggest pain in the ass LP is this guy who put in 25 grand right at the last minute. I don't, nobody wants that. So if you want to take a smaller cut, take a smaller bit of their, their stress. Like, Hey, I'll give you 25 grand. It'll be easy. Now, whether that's a large amount of money and maybe it's a stress for you anyways, doesn't matter. Like be an easy to deal with so that when they're like, sort of like taking you in, like don't then also require a lot of work because they got people jumping in at like a lot of these investors, you know, there's $250,000 um, LPs and they, they never ask how the property is doing. Most of my, my investors don't ever ask me how the property is doing. Yeah. The um, investors do. And, and some of my harder investors are like the small, small, small guys. Yeah. The investors who put them, in like 25 grand and that was all their money are way, way harder generally to work with than the guy who jumps a half a half a million dollars, but he's got 10. Cause it's just like, yeah, been here before. Just don't the lose second my thing, money. Based on right. The second thing, um, I look at I look at the economy now. I, dude, I was a financial train wreck until I was in my mid thirties, well, low thirties, right? So like, I don't have it. I didn't have it together for a long, long time. And I got into real estate, and that's why I was so timid because I was like, oh, this is the first time I ever had money. I don't want to spend any of it. I don't. I don't know if I don't want. I can't afford it to lose all this. Um, but what I noticed is that um, all the money in the world, generally, like most of it, is made 
after crashes. It's not made at the top of the market. So when you ask me like what I'm doing now and like what, what I'm looking to do next is I'm sort of like trying to invest in the long run, but really I'm trying to find out where that next big opportunity is because for people who are like kind of beating their head against the wall with real estate right now, prices are up, dude. I got houses that I never thought would be worth a hundred grand that they'd sell at 180 now. Like it's so crazy. It's so, it's so sick. And that's just, you know, my little town, my little houses. I'm sure there's people that bought houses for 300 grand that they're like, you're telling me it's worth 800. You're out of your fucking mind. Right. But people are paying it. And now will it come down? I don't know. Will it go up? I mean, over time, sure. But the point is, it's hard to buy. It's hard to like know when there's things underpriced. In 2015, you knew houses were under underpriced because they had just come from that crash. And that's where like all the wealth changes hands. So what I'm really looking at is I'm waiting till there's blood in the streets. And that's when I'm going to go. That's when it'll be more obvious because when people are scared, that's when you get greedy. And right now, everybody's really, really confident. Even with all the recession talk, it's very like superficial recession talk. Oh, yeah. Oh, that recession, that technical recession, whatever. You wait till unemployment numbers really start getting scary. You wait till people start like the fear and, and you start seeing it in the, uh, in the markets when the liquidity starts seizing banks and whatnot. Like that's when I'll real. that's when it'll be really apparent where, where the, where the money to be made is. Agreed. Uh, and I guess my answer to your question, Cliff, is I have no idea. Um, I'm, I'm trying to pivot to deals where I'm not the operator. So what I've realized is that I started real estate as a way to build wealth and it worked. Currently, real estate is a, I need to focus on real estate more as a way to store wealth and put more effort, like Alex said, into my content and brand, uh, because that's more exciting to me. It's something I have more control over. And I think it's the long game as far as what I can do. And then when I was starting out, you know, I had a negative net worth, if anything. I mean, I had very, very little money. And so everything I had to do to try to build that wealth was like higher leverage, not necessarily best part of town. Um, and they're doing fine. There are more headaches now than they were when I bought them five years ago. And so uh, I think what I'm in the process of doing, I'm running all the math, but I'm actually debating, and I'll probably have an answer in two weeks when this next flip sells, uh, basically selling everything that I haven't renovated in the last two years. So if it's something that I didn't renovate in the last year or two, uh, and so it's the stuff before that, I didn't really renovate. I just kind of touched up yeah, and made it rentable. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> so all of those properties where it's kind of like a ticking time bomb, uh, I'm probably going to offload this month or next and just move that into either LP investments, cash on the sideline for the what if, um, and just maintain the ones that are much less likely to be a headache. Cause I don't necessarily care. Like one of them's a perfectly wonderful. It's my first property I ever bought duplex that cash flows. There's really no reason to sell it, but I just have realized that like the mental space of having to deal with issues with properties isn't where I want to spend my energy. And so I'm trying to move. I'm less worried about like the dollar per dollar return and more about like, what is the likelihood that this property will be one that I actually have to worry about or deal with? And so the ones that are higher likelihood for headaches, I'm just going to kind of clear out of and move into either LP investments or, you know, things where I'm not the operator. And so if there is a headache, not my problem. Someone else is going to deal with it. I don't have to step in. I don't mind the stress as long as it doesn't take time. So. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, if anyone tries to act like there aren't headaches in real estate, they're definitely lying to you. That's for sure. Um, and yeah, the older properties really do have our, some of our Airbnbs are older and we've been dealing with renovations and stuff. And so those will be done and we should soon and we should be fine, but it, it is, it's, it's a pain. <laughs> That's yeah. Right. And it's, you know, I mean, it's like a hundred doors and like two or three of them have headaches. So it's not like the end of the world. It's just like, okay, well, let me get rid of those ones that are <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But yeah. For everybody listening, the time to sell your underperforming assets is now. I mean, in my opinion, unless you want to hang, unless you're like, hey, I'm going to hang on to this no matter what. If you're like, hey, I only want this because it makes money, and right now it's not making money, then, pff, dude, actually, the time to sell was about twelve. Yeah, yeah they might have might have missed it. I mean, twelve months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah it might be you, worth you considering what the principal paydown is and if it's worth holding. Um, I, and I think that's probably one of my favorite aspects of real estate is just the fact that you know it, it doesn't have to appreciate a dollar. You just you know, someone is living in it, you're renting it out as a long-term rental, short-term rental, 
someone is helping pay down the mortgage uh, and you're getting principal returned every month. Like, I think that's awesome. Now that that's not a huge percent return. Like it's probably mid to low single digits, but I think that's an, a huge benefit of real estate. And is one of my favorite reasons for trying to be more biased toward being a buy and hold guy. Um, and yeah, you might've missed the, the time to sell. So maybe, maybe it's worth looking at just, Hey, am I going to have, you know, if I hold this for the next five years, well, I'll have 50 grand in equity. Like that yep. might be worth holding. Depends the on how name much of the recession there, game but. is hang on. If you can hold the property, then it really doesn't matter what the market does in the long-term scheme of things where it becomes an issue is if you're not sure you're going to be able to hold the property. Yeah. I feel like it became cliche to hear like, Oh, buy properties to cash flow, but that's because people who learned their lesson in 2008 uh, have been giving us their, their solid advice that's been repeated over and over and has become cliche, but that's why you do it in order to have some insurance, uh, not literal insurance, but just kind of income coming in. So that way in the event, the value does go down, rents go down, all that stuff, you can still hang on and survive and keep holding it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, we went through an interesting thing in 08. Everybody got crushed and they said, oh, we bought for equity and then the equity didn't go up and now the thing doesn't cash flow. So what's the lesson? The lesson is buy for cash flow. And then from 2014 to 2019, I bought for cash flow with that, with that lesson in mind. And then in 2019, 20, 21, and 22, house prices went gangbusters. And I was like, shit, I'm missing all this appreciation because I bought these <laughs> houses that cash flow, flow these, right. these, these C-class properties. And now I'm missing all, and I'll tell you what, I will say this, the real wealth in real estate is in appreciation. The real wealth is in a house that people go, Oh, I want to have that house. And, uh, and I'm going to want it more in 30 years, location, whatever, location, location, location. And so I missed that boat for sure. Uh, but if you just play that game, like I don't know how things are going to settle, right? Um, you know, if you only play the appreciation game, I, I don't know that house prices will drop like they did in 08. I don't think so, but also I don't know that they won't. I watched them go up quite two X in my town. They went up double in the last two years. So I, what's to say they can't fall 50% from now. So. Um, there's some, there, there's definitely some interesting lessons to be learned, but you know, going on a sport, what is it? 14 now year run of nothing but up. It's hard to see what's real and like what's wisdom and what was just like, Oh, that was what, what that was just a lesson that we learned from that, right. but it's not really like <laughs> wisdom. So it's a really interesting time. David also made a really interesting point about, you know, the difference between active and passive in, uh, income. And so like when I started real estate, I was like, I'm going to go all in on this. And this is like, it can be both active and passive because when you're buying houses so cheap, you can like, oh, I can refinance out and get a bunch of cash out. Um, or I can, you know, flip some houses or I can help some other people buy some houses. And, and there's a lot of active income to be made. And now I think at least for me in this part of the saturated, you know, this saturated part of the market, it's much harder to buy. Certainly it's much harder for everybody to buy deeply discounted properties. And so, and then even the wholesalers are having a harder time unloading those properties. So the active income is, um, is shrinking. I think as a passive investment, real estate is my game for life. But finding that active income, that next active income is, uh, it's, it's a tough, I don't know if it's a tough pivot. It's been tough for me. Cliff, we're, uh, we're coming up on an hour. What have we missed? Is there anything that we, uh, haven't covered that you want to? You know, I don't think so. I mean, I mentioned, you know, that I've kind of decided for my answer to the question really is just kind of settling on. You know, the, working on the RV park fund and, and pivoting to RV parks and asset class where the cap rates are still high enough to make a bit of sense. Now, there are still some crazy sellers out there uh, who, I mean, there's one who bought a property a year ago for like 1.5 million and trying to sell it for four and are like really sticking to that sales price. And it's like, and they didn't even do anything to it. So, like, there are people out there who are still just as kind of crazy as multifamily owners who are potential sellers. But um, yeah, RV parks and building a short-term rental management company is kind of my focus as I, as I get out of the Navy, uh, this fall. And yeah, come to Guatemala if it's not too late, if you're listening to this and join the war room, if you're already on a part of it and then you're in the military. So <laughs> I, I didn't even pay him to say any of that. That's I right. No, that's, <laughs> go to Guatemala. That's so right. He paid us. It's true. He paid it's true. us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a good uh, point. I will say, I will say this too about anybody that's on the fence to Guatemala, like it's all paid, like it's all expenses. The only thing you have to buy is a flight. Um, maybe some booze because it's hard to like include all the booze that some people drink, whatever. Yeah, but uh, Dave and I are the before booze. the show, we were talking about like, hey, you know, we're not going to make any money. We might have to, we might actually come out of pocket on this. Um, so there is no like the value proposition is a hundred percent to the guests. This isn't something like this isn't a, 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 you know, coaching mastermind thing that we're like, hey, we're going to, we're going to make a big chunk of cash. 
and, and give you like we'll let you hike with us. It's like, dude, we're not making any money. We're, we, we're, we, we are the lodging is included, the food is included as well. You, know, we, you should probably expect to spend a little money just because you know we, it's, you're going to be in a different country. You're going to do things. You're going to buy stuff. You're going to eat, drink more than what's included. But for the most part, it's it's all included. And uh, so you know there is no money to be made. It's just it's just a way to for us to organize. So you don't have to do anything. It's like, oh, we're going to organize a bunch of people to get together. This could be awesome. Cliff, where can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about the RV fund and the self-management or Airbnb management? Yeah, they can go to uh, upwardcapital.us. Uh, they can email me, cliff at upwardcapital.us. And that's uh, 1F and Cliff. Uh, or they can go to serenitystays.com as well. Check out the Airbnb management company uh, there as well. <laughs> I know that you said 1F in Cliff, but what I heard was, there's only one F in Cliff. <laughs> that's right. Only one fucking Cliff out there. Guys. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just me. I love it. That's a that's a social media name right there. There's only one F in Cliff. <laughs> I'm going to take that before you guys do and try and build a brand off. Yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an Instagram handle. Right. One F in Cliff. Yeah. Well, mine I was currently that. mine is Fiscal Cliff. Um, back from 2012 when everyone was like, we're going off the Fiscal Cliff and. Now I do real estate stuff. So that's only that's only appropriate every you know right before the the next right the depression. next budgeting yeah. thing uh, budgeting crisis. <laughs> I think we're I think we yeah. have a, a government funded for the next year or so. So it doesn't play right now, but eventually Just, it yeah, that, that, that name works every November. <laughs> yeah, right, like, right. Yeah, when, when the government's about to shut gonna, down. I'm gonna go ahead and say thank handy. you for joining us, Cliff, because I know what's gonna happen if I don't stop this right here. <laughs> with our talking politics. We're gonna get 20 minutes of ramble about stuff that we don't care about on the episode. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Dude, thanks for joining. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.